0: Me and Chandi are both really big on coffee. She has her pour-over thingy and I have an espresso machine. But I also am really, really into tea. Like, I love tea. If you are also into tea, you need to check out Sip Tea Shop. Drinking tea can be a full mind, body, and spiritual experience that surely helps me unwind after a long, stressful day. With a variety of different herbal notes and flavors, Sip Tea Shop has a tea for everyone. For instance, take my personal favorite, the Unwind, which has chamomile, lavender, and has a great aroma of fresh roses. It really helps you to relax at the end of a long day. To find out more about their great collection of teas, go to thesipteashop.com. That's T H E. S I P T E A S H O P dot com. Also check out their Instagram at Instagram dot com slash sip underscore shop. That's S I P underscore T E A S H O P. I'm Zoe. And I'm Chandi. And this is Bound by the Cloak.
1: I think we've all seen a crime scene on a TV show or in a movie at one point in our lives. But have you ever really thought about what happens
0: after the police have left a crime scene? So the police leave, the coroner leaves... The ambulance and EMTs drive away, and the landlord, the homeowner, the tenant, they're left with blood-soaked carpet, blood-stained floors, blood spatter on walls, destroyed furniture. Who comes to clean that up? Specializing in biohazard and infectious disease mitigation, Emergiclean has been cleaning up crime scenes, suicides, unattended deaths, and much more since 1995. We spoke with Scott Vogel, Chief Operating Officer of Emergiclean, about what it's like to do this kind of work.
1: Emergiclean is a family-run business and is one of the largest trauma scene restoration companies in New Jersey. Well, Scott, thanks so much for joining us today.
2: Well, thank you for having me.
1: You know, the work you do is really, how do I put it, unique. And it is a family-run business. So can you tell us how your family got into it and how you decided to continue in the family business?
2: Yeah, in 1995, my dad and my family always taught us how to be volunteers. You know, giving back to the community is always number one. So at a young age, my parents always, they were EMTs for the local volunteer ambulance corps. And my dad worked for PSNG as well as had a small clean uh, janitorial company on the side. One day, my dad went to a scene and it was a woman that her husband has bled throughout the house. And the older woman looked at my dad and said, who, who cleans this up? I don't know. And my dad looked and said, ma'am, I don't know. It's not our responsibility. And she actually thought it was. So my dad left and actually, after looking at a bunch of things, saying, wow, there is a need. There's no such companies around here. So my dad in cor- uh, started in 95, incorporated in 96, and then started going from there. I left. My parents were like, Scott, don't get involved. Just leave. We don't want you a part of the family business. But my first cleanup was when I was 14. So I went and cleaned up a suicide. Uh, At 16, I became an EMT. So I've always been driven to give back to the community. And without the development, I went to school, went to Florida, University of Central Florida for seven years, came back, ended up working for the government. And I did undercover work for the government. And then one day I said, you know what? This isn't my calling. My calling has always been running my dad's business and jumping on. So I left the government and basically looked at my dad and said, I want to take it. But it was part-time still at that time. So it was a part-time company. And I said, well, I'm going to have kids. I'm going to have a wife. I'm going to have to develop this into a full-time business. And one of the things was nobody knew the need. The issue is, is you don't need us until you actually experience that situation at that time. So when I promote when I talk to people, people are like, well, why would we ever need you? And when we actually, when I first moved out to Florida, for school, we were looking at condos to purchase so I could get in-state tuition, you know, that loophole. And the real estate was like, you do what? You've done what? I'll never need you. Well, a month later, she called and her aunt committed suicide and said, I would never have thought I needed this service, but can you please come help? And I didn't have a company yet in Florida. You know, I just grew up. So I ended up, going to Home Depot, getting the tools and said, yeah, I'll take care of this for you because I grew up doing it. And I did. And then again, after college, I still went to the government. And when I took over, I was like, dad, this is my calling. And then I saw the lack of regulations. I saw the lack of marketing and knowledge out in the field. And um, I spoke before about New Jersey gives $4,000 to victims of crime for our cleanup. So if a crime is committed in your house you get $4,000 for our services. But yet, you will never know that. So Philadelphia, actually, the government of Philadelphia actually created an article that was published two years ago about how they were going to help inner cities with crime of after the fact, the emotional aspect of after uh, after the incident, because of how much it affects us. There's a great book I actually just have, but it's, like, I wish I could hold it up. It's from uh, Joan Canty. And she just talked about what's after suicide and crime, like murders. What is after? And regarding our industry, one of the two things is financial and emotional. That's one of the two big aspects after the issue. And us cleaning up is a huge part of the financial as well as emotional. And that's a big, big, big problem in our industry. And that's why I've developed and I've continued my education. And I'm developing this industry to get to the level where people aren't re-victimized. Because without regulations, we're seeing companies coming in that are taking advantage of those, the most vulnerable time of their lives. And when I tell a story, and we had a woman, she was 72 years old. And her brother just died on the top of the steps and she called in a company and the company came in and said, your insurance isn't going to cover it. The bill is going to be $40,000 and we need half up front. And this woman just was like, what do I do? So she took a scrub brush and she started scrubbing the guts and everything off the top of the steps. Um, finally, clergy, one of the people from her church got involved and said, you know what? I know a company let me make a call. They called me. I came in and I said, "The insurance. They, they, hold on, your insurance said they don't cover it. And she's like, yes, that's what the company said. I said, how much? 40? Yes, they said around that. And that's just for the cleanup. And I'm like, ma'am, hold on. Let me look. I called the insurance company. The company never called. And I got on the phone. I said, ma'am, this is covered. And I said, and guess what? For us to do this, it's only going to be six, $7,000, plus with the rebuild, putting the carpet back, cleaning. And she's like, then why is the other company charging $40,000? And I said, because there's no regulation. There's no guidance. Nothing comes from the state. Zero. The police will say, EMS, coroners, go on Google. But Google doesn't do ethical checks. They don't do certification checks. If you pay $100, you can get on top of the list. So we're doing disservice to the public in the country, not only in New Jersey, but in the country, because we're allowing these people to be taken advantage of at their worst times. And that's kind of where, as you can speak in my voice, that's like where I'm really going with trying to get nationwide standards created in this industry.
0: What what efforts have you made to get uh, nationwide standards I belong to an association called
2: the American Biorecovery Association. It's a nonprofit that started actually around the same time my dad's, we started in 95. And it's, I think right now, I'm the educational chair. I think we have 52 companies and we make sure you have certifications, we make sure you have ethical. So, with them helping me the, and other companies within the association, there have been laws that passed so far in California and Georgia. Georgia was uh, done in 2020, 2021-ish, and that was due to a local company in the area kind of pushing because they saw felons getting and jumping into this industry, and they saw a lot of re-victimization. And one of the stories that come to mind is it was all of the news for a while, where um, a company was putting on the clothes of dead people and taking pictures and posting on their Instagram. And they thought it was cool. So that was a big hunch. Right now, if you go on and you type in, a company's getting sued for live streaming on TikTok, live streaming, a cleanup. And the person's family, kids, were watching the cleanup. Here is a company wants clicks on TikTok, like, hey, we're all for showing the gore. And the person who ended up ending their lives, sadly, and lost a battle to mental illness, their kids now had to watch it be cleaned up on social media. And that is, how do you do that? And it's so unbelievable that this is happening in this day and age. Now, the IRCRC S540, which is an anti-standard bodying Association as well. They came out with the S540. I've assisted on that committee, the sentence body. And one of the things that we really wanted to touch on is people's privacy. Although it's not a HIPAA violation, although, yes, it can be done, but is it the standard of care that we really want to provide our clients using their emotional stress for personal gain? And without regulations, without anything. You don't. And so far in New Jersey, we had an introduction of a bill in 2021. And I was really excited for it. We had an assemblyman uh, put it, but it got stalled. It just went dead. No point intended. But it just collapsed. And the thing about it was, how do we go from there? Um, I was really discouraged. And This semester, actually, I'm in, um, so I'm in my doctorate for public health at Rutgers University, and I have two good instructors that talked about it's policy mapping, power and policy mapping, and how do you get regulations passed. And and I just started digging this semester because they started saying, you almost had it passed. You know, you got it in front of somebody, but it went dead. Who else do you need to get in front of? So I've been in talks with two, three, four assemblymen right now and women to really see if it's something to go forward on. However, a lot of people want data. They want to see news of what happened. And, but the problem is, is since there's no regulation, and a lot of family members will get bullied and just to settle. So if a company comes in and charges you $40,000, your insurance might say $20,000. Although it really should only be five. they say $20,000. And the family says, okay, just settle 20, pay them 20. The company said they'll take 20, but then your insurance rates go up. The insurance might drop you. So then you have to look at all the outcomes of that and all the financial problems that could resign from that. And that's a big issue that people don't look at the after fact of that. And even the employee. So our company has a Department of Labor approved apprenticeship program. So we have 295 hours of classroom training and 4,000 hours without in the field before you can become a project manager. A good apprenticeship program to teach. Most companies go online and you take a two-hour class and you can do this. And exactly. And everyone's, when I talk to them about that, they're like, what? I'm like, yeah. I said, most people don't care. Uh, With movies like The Cleaner, Or Sunshine Cleaners. And if you look at the movies, it was kind of a joke, but yet it was serious. And then there's this TV show in England and US called Spotless. And since that came out, a lot of people have tend to now think this is a financial, very rewarding financial industry, especially with no regulation. So they're like, "Ooh, I can re-victimize somebody, make a lot of money, and nobody's going to do anything. And that's what's been going on for 20, 25 years easily. And it's going to continue to happen until we actually have somebody say, okay, enough is enough. And that's what happened in California. And that's what happened in Georgia.
0: I just assumed that there was more training just across the board and that would have thought it was something regulated. Yeah, I mean, I put a poll out
2: using SurveyMonkey. I had like 450 people respond in New Jersey and 93% said it should be regulated. And over 80% actually thought the government did it. That's what I would have thought. And that's the thing. Imagine losing a loved one. And I always try to tell this is if you could close your eyes and just say you've you've walked in and I don't want to be descriptive, but just imagine like you haven't talked to a loved one for three, four days and you're going in saying, oh, maybe they fell. Like you're going there hoping nothing is wrong and you walk in and that person has passed away. And after 24 hours, rigor mortis and everything starts setting up. And now that scene, that body, and again, don't mean to be descriptive, but understand your body starts to swell up with gases and then starts melting and kind of flushing, releasing the fluids. Imagine walking in there that you're, you are, the smell is unforgettable. And what happens is that's the last moment. So now you leave. You're in tears. You're calling your loved ones. You're saying, Oh my God, mom, dad, Aunt Susie just died. Oh my God, there's a mess. What do I do? And then cops come, the coroner's office, medical exams come, they take the body. And you're like, What do I do? And the cops said, Well, you shouldn't go in there. Well, that's too late. But yes, I won't go in there again. But you want Aunt Susie's mom, dad's favorite outfit that's in the closet. You want that for the funeral. So you're sitting there like, Yeah, but. Mom always said she wanted that blue dress. Dad said that. So I want to get in there, but the cops are telling me not to because of the smell and it could be dangerous. So then you call a company. You go on Google, you type in crime scene cleanup or you type in blood cleanup or something. You're thinking of that moment. And you're not looking and saying, well, let me check the BBB. Let me check the reviews. Like you're thinking, okay, I thought the cops did it. The cops are not doing it. Surprisingly not. If the cops are recommending someone, it doesn't mean they're good, because it means the cops got a little pen, a little notepad, a little card, and they're just saying, here's the company I know who does it. But there's nothing that's gone into that, no background checks. So then you call them, and they're like, oh, man, yeah, we'll come out. We'll look at it. They don't talk about insurance. They don't talk about procedure. They pull up in an unmarked van, some a U-Haul van, like nothing lettered. They come out and, hi, ma'am, how you doing? I'm here from blah, 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 blah. I'm here to clean it up. OK, great. I walk in and say, ma'am, look, I think it's going to be six, dollars $7,000. Six, $7,000. Yeah, that's it. OK, that's fine. Does insurance cover? No, 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 they don't. Don't bother. OK. And then all of a sudden, they do the job. It takes them six hours. They get the job done. The family's finally starting to put some closure to this. And then they get the bill for $40,000. And then the family goes, how am I going to pay this? And the company goes, I don't care. In New Jersey, we can put a mechanicals lien on your property up to 90 days. So that means if you don't pay us, we'll just put a lien on your property until you sell it. We will then end up going to a sheriff's cell and taking your property. And that's everyone's like, Scott, you're in the industry. Why do you want more regulations? Because more regulations help the vulnerable population that we see 90 percent of the companies doing bad about. In our industry, you know you always have the 10, 90. This one, I would say, 70, 30, 30, good, 70, bad. And some of the bigger companies are the worst. More nationwide companies are doing it the worst. And then what's even worse is, um, say you call a company that doesn't do it. So what they will do is call me. And they will say, hey, Scott, we got a job. I'm like, okay, great. No big deal. We go out and do it. But they charge that customer next year 25%, 30% for calling me out. So now my bill's at, say, five. Now their bill's going to be at eight. So by having a list, and that's what my law was about, is creating a list in the Department of Health's website. So when EMTs, first responders, clergy, anybody gets involved in a death, they could say, here's a website from the Department of Health. You can go on. Here's all the companies that have registered. And the thing is, is we have the home improvement contractor's license, as everybody knows. So we have, as a consumer, the obligation or the protection from somebody to rip off and hurt us when it comes to putting an addition, putting on a new deck, putting a new roof on. We're protected by that. But yet, when somebody dies in a house and we're at the most vulnerable time where we don't want to do research, where we do not want to spend another minute on the website looking, and we're just going to call that one company that we first see, guess what ends up happening? We're not protected at all.
1: Why do you think there are no regulations? It just seems like the easy answer is to regulate the industry. Why is that not happening?
2: Like I said in the beginning, you wouldn't know unless it happened to you. The thing about it is, is people just don't randomly make regulations. Like, oh, why? Like, why do we want big government? Why, you know, some are for small government, why some are for big government. Most people don't look at it as we want more regulations for business because why is it needed? But when you look at this field, the only time people are aware of what we do is if you're turning on TV and one of the movies are on if you actually need it. But when you need it, it's already too late. In the United States, we are always, always react. Any pandemic, any type of issue, we're always behind the curve. You know, we're always behind. This regulation will put us in front of the curve to put us in front and say, okay, we've known there's an issue, but we don't have to wait any longer. We're going to put something up. But however, most of these politicians and assembly people and they want to jump on it but they're kind of like why there's no news worthy of it every news station that has been investigated there has been a few undercover stings regarding our industry insider edition did one it was really bad where we actually i didn't but another company in arizona set up a company where they did all fake blood and their job in the industry, a bunch of us said, okay, that job is four dollars or $5,000. Comp- they called in three companies. Two of the companies came in at 32, dollars $38,000. And we set it up. Insider Edition posted it. It was eight. All of a sudden, lawyers got involved, and it went down in 25 minutes because they had money. Because you got to realize something. Small companies are owned by me and my parents, individuals. When you start looking at these bigger companies, they're not owned by one person. They're owned by hedge funds. They're owned by law firms. They're companies that are established to make a profit for their stockholders. So if something could screw that up, they're going to put a big damper on it. So by establishing regulations gives us that way of saying, "Okay, stop. Hey, look, if they want to get regulated, that's fine. But at least now there's a recourse of ripping off a family.
0: And it seems like there's like a lack of caring. They don't care about their customers. If you're overcharging them because you're just only willing to make a profit and not really consider what they've just gone through. So what kind of care do you guys take with your clients?
2: You hit the nail on the head because the I'm going to look at this two ways. Not from, First, not for me. Somebody dies, guess what? You have no more client. In all honesty, the chances of you needing a services more than once is hopefully never but you're only gonna need our services once. So most bigger companies, most other companies will say, hey, this is a home run, hit them. I don't care if they give me a bad review. Guess what? It is what it is. They're never gonna need me again. But when you deal with a small company like myself where volunteerism and everything has run, we care because when I, when I worked as a volunteer M.T. and my parents and we still help out a lot, I look at everybody as my grandmother or my mother. I've always been taught that way. So my care is when I walk in, you are a part of my family. Because right now, I don't care what anybody... Yes, we still need to make a profit. Yes, we still... So don't... I'm not going to lie about that. There still has to be a profit to run a business. But where is that level of fair, bit, fair pricing? For example, I don't need to hit a home run. I need to do what I do good and make sure everybody's taken care of. And if you can make sure everyone's taken care of and you don't hurt anybody, then I think you can make a good life as well as do what we do in the industry. But when you get greed, you get people showing off with Ferraris and all of these things thinking this is cool. But realistically, that's where the care goes away. I just did one the other day where. And we probably shouldn't have taken this on. And the reason why is what you could tell she was all over the place. Like she just wasn't there. And most of the jobs are complicated when they're totally not there. Like it almost dementia. And I was like, no, we have to. And everybody in my office is like, Scott, even my office was like, Scott, do you know this is going to be a nightmare for us? And I said, yes. But she reminds me of my grandmother. You know, so how can I say no? I can't. And we're going to do everything we can and we can do to support them. We had a situation actually a year and a half ago we still haven't been paid. The insurance company has been giving us problems and a lot of people in our industry would say well it's the homeowner's responsibility. Make the homeowner pay. And I'm like ultimately yes the homeowner will get the money from the insurance but my question is is if my job is to take care of that customer and A part of our service is to build a customer and help them through the insurance. It's not to do the job and leave. And I think a lot of people have lost that in this industry, even in water, fire, or restoration alone. A lot of people are like, we don't want to build the insurance because the insurance gives us troubles. They use platforms. They try to reduce money. However, that's a part of our job. And in our standard of care for myself, we're a part of that job the moment we get the call until they get paid. And I'm going to help them every which way I can. And I'm not going to steal them wrong. So incident that I was talking about, we haven't made it pay us. So I've held that job up. And that job was very expensive. And because the blood has seeped through the floor into the basement, it was a big job, we had to remove a lot of things. But the thing about it was, I'm not going to put that person out for that money because insurance should be paying. And I will fight and stand behind her or him until that insurance backs it out. And that's a big part of standard of care. Our care starts when we get the call. It shouldn't stop once the job is done. It should be done when that person, that individual is in their right of mind to move forward. And that's my biggest thing in this industry is understanding where limitations there's limitations, but I still get stakes from people that I've worked for. One of my good friends is um, our families now hang out and we got introduced because his brother committed suicide. And I responded and I sat down with him and his family and we talked and then it found out that our kids were the same age and everything. and. It is still a little awkward at times going to birthday parties, knowing what I did. But the first time that I went there, after everything, the first birthday party, I've actually physically went there. I got a hug from basically everybody in their family. And my wife was there. And she looked and said, like, why? Because she didn't really know how we became friends. And I told him I, at that moment, I think my, even my wife realized, like, wow, what impact? You could have on a family at that time. And I said, You don't understand that's an everlasting impact. Because if it wasn't for me, who would have done it? And for me, a thousand dollars, fine. But another company could have been 50, 60. That situation could have been haunting them for the rest of their lives. And I know it does that situation in general, but the two parts that I could have helped. I did. And that's all I could have done at that moment. And that's why 24 hours a day. um, Well, during the day, if you call, you get actually my cousin. She's one of our office admins and two other great girls that work part time for us. But after hours, you only get me. So at six o'clock at night till six, actually seven o'clock in the morning, the phone comes to me, you press zero and it comes to me. And that's because I know I want to be the first person to talk to that person. I don't want to call service to be like, hold on, please let me get somebody. And you listen to on hold music, you know, or hey, someone will call back. I want to say, "Okay, ma'am, this is what's going on. How can I help you, sir? This is what I can do. Do you want us to come out right now? I'll dispatch. I know who's working that night. I've picked up jobs when I've been on vacation at two o'clock in the morning at Disney. And I'm sitting laying down next to my family and the phone rings and I'm like, babe. And she's like, I know, go. And I'll just walk out and I'm like, "Okay." And then I'll call my mom or dad, wake them up. And then I'm like, look.
1: Let's talk about that in terms of when you get that call, what happens up until, you know, you're at the scene and you're working or talking to the families. So what does your day look like from the time you get a call?
2: That's the thing. We just never know when we're going to get a call.
1: (laughs) I mean, sometimes we get six, seven
2: calls a day. Sometimes we don't get any. So it's not an everyday basis. Now, with us, the call comes in. So our techs, as well as our office staff, goes through what we call the BISRA, the BioRisk Safety Assessment. That's from the American BioRecovery Association. So we have like front-end questions. Uh, Questions like, was there a casualty? wasn't an accidental death? Is it a residence? Is it commercial? Um, What type of property? What happened? Now, instead of making that repeated, what we normally do is we type it via text messages that everybody gets it. So if a phone call happens, say during the day, my cousin Allison will end up picking up the phone, taking the information down while she's texting it out to me or my father. And I will say, okay, great. Switch it over to me. I'll take it from here so she doesn't have to repeat it. I'll take the call, say, okay, ma'am, look, I know what's going on. First, I I really, or him, I'm really sorry for your loss. What can I do? How can we help you? From what I'm conceding, I can get somebody out within two hours, three hours sometimes, to make sure this can happen. Have you called insurance? Is it an apartment complex? If it's an apartment complex, have you called the landlord? If not, what's the number? Now, I'm trying not to over overwhelm them with questions. And the reason I'm asking upfront real quick, because then I don't have to involve them a lot of things after the fact, they can go grieve. And that's the biggest problem. So go grieve, let us go there. So when we go there, one of my supervisors always goes in first looks at the scene. At that point, that supervisor is trained to handle with the client. So, we do uh, psychological first aid. It's a great course from uh, Red Cross. It's free. It teaches us how to handle ourselves as well as um, victims. So, our customers, I call them victims because they're going through that, that trouble times. So, when we get out there, my supervisors are handling them. They go out, they make sure all the insurance stuff is figured out while my technicians outside start getting ready. Now, my supervisor determines one thing the supervisor says, is this family going to leave or are they going to stay? Do they need extra support? Do they need counseling? Do we have to get on the phone with somebody to get them extra help? Or is us being there just helpful? So that supervisor then will decide, do I sit there with the woman and talk for the next four hours? Do I jump in the suit and help the guys out to get it done quicker? Or is it a little bit further deep and I have to call Scott and we need to get a counselor here to assist This woman, because it's over our knowledge and we really need to get extra help. After that determination, then we go in. We set up containment. So again, we don't want anybody in the scene but us now at that point. The pricing and all of that has been done. Once we go in, now we start cleaning. So we work our way in and then we work our way out. So we work our way in cleaning our scene and then we work our way out doing what we call disinfection. So we'll walk in and we're applying a disinfectant and working our way out. Then we take down the containment, job's done, we walk off. We dispose of everything as medical waste, which is regulated. That's actually regulated. But the lines of regulation on that are still, from what we do, it's very regulated from hospitals and healthcare, but through crime scene cleanup and what we deal with, there's a gray line. Like There's definitely a gray area. so we, what we say is we overclassify our waste as medical waste, but that's just for our benefit, for our protection. And then, at this time when everything's going on and we're cleaning, the office is actually or myself. we're reaching out to the insurance. We're trying to get the insurance on the phone. We're trying to find out all of this so we can get this closed. My supervisors are trained. also, when they first walk in, they identify, do we need new carpet? Do we need? A wall taken down. So what ends up happening is that supervisor now leaves, leaves the area, and he's already making that arrangement. Okay, we might need a replacement of carpet. So I have a carpet resource. Let's call them. Hey, look, when can you get here? If it's an emergency, they will do everything in their power to get me somebody there. Most of the day, we let it wait until the funeral and everything, depending on the scene. So most of the time we'll do the cleanup and then we're like, look, the carpet's removed. We can wait a little bit. Do you, would you rather us just wait so you can maybe choose a new color of the carpet, a new wall color? Instead of blue, you want a gray. Instead of a green, you want a yellow. That's fine. We can do all of that for you. Let's do that after you you know, lay the deceased down and you know, pay your respects. The good thing is, is one of the things I always recommend in that case is to change a little bit. Because if you go into the same room, especially during a suicide, especially if you saw that person and you actually witnessed that, or you were the first person to see that person deceased or laying there, sometimes that image is still there till at least the room changes. And once the room changes, okay, it's like a new step, you know, you're doing so it's not as bad, it still can be, but it's a little bit easier that I found to get over when it comes to cleaning up, though, it's it's not that hard. It's just knowing how to when you walk into it, what chemical to use, um, how to clean it up, understanding, for example, whenever I go to a job, we always do a level piece level. And everyone's like, why I put a level on a floor and I'm like, blood is like water. Blood is going to run. So if it goes into the floor, it's going to run the beams. So the problem is, is where there might be a little blood spot here, if it got into the floor, it could be in the kitchen ceiling downstairs, and you're not going to know. And we found that a lot of the time. So I always, one of the biggest things that I always say on my tool belt is nice level, little torpedo level. And we put it on the ground and we'll see where the house is settling and which way it's going. And then we can kind of understand where the blood is uh, heading. Now, a lot of the time, if it's in carpet, sometimes uh, people call carpet cleaners. And they will go and clean the top of the carpet. So we get a call like two weeks later. Why is it smell? I'm like, ma'am, what happened? Well, someone died here and we had a carpet cleaner. A buddy of mine came in and did the carpet. I'm like, I'm on my way. At that point, I'm not going to do anything. I'm on my way. So I'm like, ma'am, we got to remove the carpet. And we'll actually see sometimes the body outline underneath in the padding. Oh, no, really? So You can actually see the outline of the body in the padding and even in the carpet. And again, lack of regulations and lack of knowledge. Because again, you as a homeowner, you as a somebody going through that time is not thinking right. No way. And I hate to say it like that, but it's it's nothing to feel bad about or not like you're just not in your right state of mind. Yeah. You've just lost a loved one. Or even if it was a neighbor, someone you can put a tangible area into, like you known them. You've loved them. You've actually gone out of your way to check on that person. So there has to be some care involved in that. And you've just found them past. So you don't really care. You You just want to make sure it gets cleaned up and it gets handled.
0: When basically like when the blood or any other fluids seep down, are you then removing the ceiling downstairs and like, how do you clean wood beams? How do you clean joists? How do you drywall? How does that work? Drywall comes out. Okay. So it's just replaced completely. Well, not all the time. I mean,
2: structural, we can't. So structural, you can't. So like in a structural situation, so your peroxide that you buy at home, it's 3%. And when you pour it on a cut, what happens? It bubbles. 7%, same thing. We buy commercial at 7%, but then we have something that actually goes up to like 19.9%. So when you put that on a wood floor or even concrete floor, the bubbling, so the white bubbles, will come out and actually draw any of that protein and blood out of that flooring and also remove the staining. We actually just did that in a building. Uh, Somebody was passed away and it leaked through a concrete floor and... All the way into the person below's bedroom and was dripping on the bed and didn't know about it so we got the call and we're like well we can't chop up the concrete so we ended up using a dehumidifier on the second floor and pouring peroxide on the top floor so the dehumidifier would actually pull the liquid through the concrete as well so we were able to do that and we were able to uh safely Decontaminate that area, and then what we did is seal the floors inside and on the ceiling as well as the top before we did the rebuild. So there's certain cases like that, but most of the time, if it's on drywall, it's coming out. Anything porous, wood, wood, your wood flooring, carpet, all of that stuff is coming out. So that's not that hard. Mattresses coming out. But then when you get on your non-porous substance, like your plastics, like most of the time that's just cleaned And then there's certain things that are valuable that you don't want to throw out that we will try to clean. And it depends on the situation also. I mean, was it a a shotgun suicide? Was it a pistol? Was it an unattended death? Was it someone cutting their wrist? So it depends on what type of level of exposure that was as well before we determine that. But most of the time, if it's on the floor, if it's carpets coming out, I would say 99.9% time it's coming out. Because we can't certify what's underneath, so even if we pull it back, we just don't want to take the chance. So it's cutting out wood floors. The two inch, a lot of the time, we'll see get in to the cracks and go into the subfloor. Older houses, when you have the subfloors, which are like the three by yeah the boards. Yeah. Now you've gotten them drip down into yeah, the yeah. floor below. Um, some new houses you have subfloor, yeah, so like you have the plywood, and the plywood would stop it most of the time. Unless it's right out of that crap. But um, most of the time it does. But unfortunately, imagine pouring water, because that's what it is. Pour yep. water on your floor. And where water goes, blood's going to go. Most jobs are small, where it's just a removal, even a subfloor, very easy. But then you have some where we've had, from the third floor all the way down to the basement, It ran the chase and just hit wow. three, four apartments going down. And we've had people call said um, on the second floor saying it looks like a scene from The Shining, like the blood is coming from the walls, like, oh, my God, what do I do? And then we're like, well, call your landlord and say the tenant above you are probably dead. And then they call. And then, yeah, we go out and it's been passed away. Um, We've had people hang themselves over a skylight and have actually the gases and actually physically explode. And because of the heat. Like it can, again, it can go from easy to, ah, crap, we're going to be here for a week. Most of our jobs are dead. Two days, okay, severe, but we've had jobs where it's been four or five days, very rarely, maybe once a year, twice a year, where we get to that point where, holy, oh, my God, I need help. We're going to need people. And we're just constantly there to get rid of it. But we also have some unique jobs. Suicide on a boat, unattended death on a boat, you know, where we've had to do it in front of a port. So we've had all these situations. I've had body that was getting transported via an airplane explode in the airplane. So nobody got their luggage back that day because it was all covered in due to religious reasons, you don't get embalmed during transport. And if your body is actually faced the wrong way during takeoff, the pressure of the takeoff could push your fluids to your head and it explodes the head. So that's what happened in this case. During the flight, the fluids were just going in underneath. Wow. People get sick on airplanes, people get sick in cars. I mean, we had when Uber first came out, I was getting called from Ubers all the time, drivers. Someone vomited in the backseat. How do I clean it up? And I'm like, uh, okay, you can bring it to our shop. And that was like
0: a standard. Like we were getting calls like every day almost from somebody vomiting in the backseat. Speaking of like the different types of jobs that you guys go on, How many different types of jobs are there? I mean, obviously, you don't just do deaths. You do other types of work, too. So we do mold. Um, We have dabbled
2: in water and fire, you know. But 99, man, 98% of all our jobs are blood, blood blood-related, infectious disease and blood biohazardous. The thing is, is I want to specialize. And that has actually benefited us by specializing because... They've looked at us and said, okay, they're not going to steal our work. So, other contractors that don't do this aren't scared to use us because we don't do their type of work. So, that has been very beneficial for us. But yeah, if I get a client that says, hey, Scott, I got a water loss. Can you help us? I'll say, yeah, you know, we have the equipment. We can handle it. We're certified to do water. All of my techs are certified and we've gone through classes. But we just, when my guys go out, if they're not out, they're training. If they're not on our jobs, we're prepping for the next job because we never know when the next job is going to be. Now, we've never gone a month, a week or two weeks without a job. Normally, we get a small job, no less like a cop car or a jail cell that someone has peed through a fecal in the back. Like we get them daily. But most of our bigger jobs, we're probably getting two, three, four weeks sometimes where we're averaging about six to seven hundred jobs a year. And there are bigger contracts now coming out with housing authorities due to HUD because HUD does have requirements. So we actually just got awarded Philadelphia Housing. And that's nice. Although they don't provide us with a lot, a lot of work, but it's nice to know that a housing complex is actually caring that when there's an incident, they know who to call. And we're finding that more and more when HUD gets involved, that they bid out our services. And trust me, I'm the first person to say, everyone's like, you want a bid? I'm like, yes, please. I don't mind if I lose a bid. That's the point of what's nice about um, bidding. Because sometimes I'll lose, sometimes I'll win. But it also gives that competitive nature through each other. So we're not getting one company to mobilize the area and charge where they are. You get more to more people, and that's why some of your bigger companies, nationwide companies, are losing all the bids, because you're having little companies that are certified that do this really well, being able to bid and get them. But again, it's very rare that you see a bid come out. I mean, I have six to seven government contracts, maybe eight, where we should probably have somewhere, well, we should be bidding out probably like 60 a year, 70 a year, because imagine every housing authority, every senior living, that any type of senior living that's owned by the government should have some type of bidding process, none have them. Even the state government, New Jersey State Police doesn't have even have a bid. They just Call when they need it. So first, let's try to find out who we have to call to try to get them to get a bid. And that's again, that's why I want the uh, the law, and I want the website, and I want all of this because I think it would be a good avenue. Then, because there's our companies, not even on the residential side, but for a cop car, some companies are charging eighteen hundred dollars to do one cop car, when realistically it should be like two hundred, three hundred dollars, and they're charging eighteen. the cops don't know who to call. So, hey, just call the $1,800
1: company. Okay, so since you're talking about Philadelphia, your work doesn't just stay in New Jersey. Emergy Clean kind of goes outside of New Jersey. How far? Like, what different states have you worked in?
2: A lot. Mass all the way down to D.C. I've done work. We've done a lot of jobs in D.C., actually, regarding consulates and more of federal government when something comes. But again, when I mean a lot, that could be 10. Like, it's not like a lot is like 200. In our industry, a lot is like from one customer, like five, six times. But um, regarding that, I mean, most of my work is Philadelphia, uh, Pennsylvania, New Jersey, New York. That's my prime. Now, with the American Buyer Recovery Association, why I really love them as an association is we have companies throughout the whole country. So a lot of these franchises, a lot of these companies that say, oh, we we service everywhere. No, they don't. The American Buyer Recovery Association never lies. Like we say, as an association, we have these members that meet these requirements. In every state, you can go to the website, look up the state, and you'll get four, five, six companies. So in Pennsylvania, there's like four companies in Pennsylvania. In New Jersey, there's three companies. That's how we do it. Have I gone out of state for large jobs when other companies have needed assistance? Absolutely. I've helped them and I'll help them constantly. And that's what the the resource in that network of being able to call some of the best in the industry to back you up is extremely important. And that's what we strive. But yeah, like our main focus is Jersey, PA and New York.
1: And is that because they are different laws and regulations and just criteria tell us more about this industry and how do you get certified
2: there is no requirement so what regulation do you need you have people technically a 2 hour bloodborne pathogen is what the industry says you need i wrote a letter to osha about 3 years ago saying does the 40 hour hazwoper which is a regulation set for emergency response within osha Does the 40-hour require our industry to have? And they came back with the most government response ever. They did not say yes or no. They said, well, if this, 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 this. And I'm like, yeah, but this is what we're arguing about. Is it needed? And it couldn't be like, yes, it's needed. It had to be like, in some situations, it's needed. In some, it's not. And when it comes to OSHA regulations, it's tricky. Because if you need it once, then you need it. So in our industry, the American Biorecovery stance on that is all the technicians need a 40-hour hazwoper. And actually, to become a technician through the American Biorecovery Association, you need a 40-hour hazwoper. And everyone's like, well, some people are selling their platforms and are saying, my three-day course, we don't need the 40-hour, but you could take my three-day course and you know everything. And I'm like, you don't know jack. You know how to go in there. Sell. You know enough to get yourself hurt. That's what I say. Like, you know yourself and in the restoration, we're all yes men and women. We don't say no. So you can throw something that we have no experience on, but we're going to say yes, because that's what we do. Um, We'll figure it out. But within this industry, you'll have a lot of the senior people in the industry, experienced technicians and companies fight for the 40 hour because they want it or they don't want it. And there's a big divide on that. But my theory is if if you only need it once then you need it so why not just have it and there's that difference so all my guys have it a lot of people are making that stance now that just get it because of what we deal with emergency response now georgia you need a license california you need a license like i said but that license just regulates the company not the individual so georgia's bill i loved it was a good start but it only regulates to prevent people with unethical background, felons and other people that have might have been steered the wrong way, they can't get a license. California is a very actually easy registration to get. I actually do know a friend of mine who actually registered his dog and got the license. So it's kind of a joke, but what I want to do here is I actually want it on the individual level. I want it at the company level, but then just like asbestos mold. Not mold, actually. In New York, mold is individual level in New York City and in the state, but in New Jersey, we don't have mold. Right now, I would like each company to get its license from the state saying they can do that. Then each individual, we could give them a license or at least have the company, when they sign in, saying that everyone has to meet this type of standard and follow these regulations. Because what happens is a lot of these restoration companies, is the owners have all the certs. Even in my company, we're very uneven. And I'm not going to lie. I have the most certs out of everybody in my company, which I should, I'm the owner. But there is a big gap in the middle between me and my employees. However, most of my employees, because I do have that apprenticeship program, are probably more well-trained than 50% of the owners throughout this country. And that's because we believe in education. So a lot of people do not believe in professional development. They believe I can go and take one class and then do this. They don't believe that it's a continuous industry that you need to learn. And that's a default. So without regulations and without clear guidance, everyone's always going to take the easy way. I hate to say, I think that's generally us as society. If you think about it, if we have a long path, But yet you have that shortcut. How many people are going to say, I'd rather get there five minutes early and take the shortcut? I would say 90% of our population, if not more, would take that shortcut. So if you give a reason not to be trained, if you give a reason of or doubt, another gentleman in the industry, we bat heads. He's all about, he says it's needed and he's a really good deflector, good marketer, I have to say. And he's like, oh, 40 hours not needed. It's not. It's not. And I'm like, yes, you're right. It's not needed on every single job. It's not. However, it's needed one. Well, what if you don't do that one job? My question is, is we don't figure out that job is that job until we're on site and working on that job. So now it's too late. But he has a three-day course. And hey, look, the course is good. It's an entry-level course, but giving false hope. To a family or to a company that this is all you need, and they build a business around that. They invest, they they do it. So me and him, we bet heads all the time about everything in the industry, and that's because I'm a true fighter for the industry to get better, not somebody who believes in status quo, and that's with uh, standard of care, that's with regulations, that's with certifications, training, health and safety. I don't believe we need to be infants. And right now, we are like, how we explain it is in 95, we were born, you know, in the industry, although it's been going on for way before that. But the industry really got its feet, came out in 95. Now we're like teenagers. We're actually probably like eight, nine-year-olds. Like we, we've had our feet wet, we're getting involved, but yet we don't have our footing yet. And the thing about it is I want to move us up to that 14, 15 level. I want to move us up to teenage years where we're getting to adulthood, A lot of people that have made training a part of their lives want us to stay in that kid range because once we move up, they kind of fold. Their training platforms, their understanding. And trust me, my dad and me, everybody said we should have our own reality show. Like we fight, not physical, but the verbal just Scott you don't listen to me, dad. I love you, but you don't listen to me. And finally, at the end of the day, he will always tell me, Scott, you were right, which I record every single time. Just to play back. I'm like, see, dad, you said I was right. But he's like, we don't need that. Well, nowadays you do. Well, guess what? He researches it a little bit and he's like, prod, we do. And that's because his mindset and all the parents do that. And there's nothing wrong with that. It's Well, when I was in high school or when I was in elementary school, we were walking in five feet of snow to school. Well, now five inches of snow can cancel school. So we're like, yes, but we've developed and we've seen that certain things aren't safe. If we didn't develop as uh, industry and society, we still would be thinking that inhaling asbestos is safe. Well, we know that's not true. Times change and we learn from what we've what we've experienced. And a lot of the time, the older population or the older people in this industry, they've learned. But yet now, since new regulations, they don't want to follow the new regulations.
0: So you guys have a a lot of training and a lot of experience. What are some of the hardest jobs that you've done?
2: I can't do kids. Something that hits me hard because I have two little ones. Um, We did have an incident um, not too long ago, that um, a mother killed her child. I got the call, I gave it off to my dad. And I looked at my dad and he's like, look, nothing's gonna, nothing's coming up. Like we won't put, and we have company cam, which is a great company, shout out to them. All the pictures go onto that program so we can see it. And my dad's like, Scott, I'm not gonna do it because I had to deal with the, the grandmother that called. And I went home and hugged my kids. Like my wife, the moment I walked in, she knew it was that type of day. And I just hugged my kids and I'm like, just don't let go. And kids are the worst for me because they're so innocent. Like they're truly innocent. Knowing the backstories of some of the jobs can get to you of why they committed suicide or speculation of why. One of the hardest jobs I actually had, it wasn't actually a job. It was an attempted job. I was coming back from a job where somebody tripped, fell, and bled. I got a call on the phone on Route 80 in New Jersey. There were two of my guys, and the woman said she was going to kill herself and take three of her kids. I was like, then why are you calling us? And she's like, I just want you to be there to clean us up after the family. And I pulled over on Route 80, and I was like, holy crap. And I looked at my guys, I said, guys, call my parents, get the police on the phone, like, this is issue. No one would take the call away from me. No police department would come to Route 80 to help me. Nobody would finally. So it took me about two hours to talk this woman down in the middle of Route 80 in my truck. And I explained to her, you know, it's not worth it. We can do this together. And I finally convinced her to give me her number. And then my mom called a local officer that she knew. And he finally said, Scott, hang up and I'll call. I went home and I hugged my parents. And to this day, it's one of the the most emotional times because if it wasn't me at that time, what would have been the outcome? And knowing that I had that impact, that pushes me through most of my hard days is knowing that whatever I do, no matter how tough it is, I've had such a huge impact in so many people's lives at their worst moments that I know I'm going to get ahead of this. And my family, thankfully, my kids know what I do. My, my daughter's eight and she knows what I do. And sometimes at two o'clock in the morning, it's very hard to go out. My dad missed my daughter's baptism. Sometimes it's hard. We miss events. We miss, But it's nice to know even my daughter at eight, she's like, my daddy's going to help somebody. And that's how you have to look at it. And when I look at jobs we've done, I mean, like I said, kids are just, no matter what, I mean, even on the news, you know, the kids are always going to be the hardest topic. But understanding the suicides, when families ask you why, and they're like, why, why? And this is why my supervisors are trained a little bit more, is we need to understand how to do that and how to talk. Because knowing that you have a a family there and they're all surrounding and saying why why and they're in tears we're there to clean it up and we're there to really just clean it up however like i said before our job is not just to deal with that our job is a lot bigger than that so the emotional aspect i've had where a father beheaded his wife and his daughter um we've had murder-suicide is common, you know, you took your own life, and then everyone's like, oh, they were sweet, they were loving, and then you're cleaning, and you're finding things that can tell a different story, and knowing the backstory, and this is why there's a lot, and then, you know, people look at us like they want to know, and I tell people, look, if you want gory scenes, if you want details, I'm not that big on that, but the thing about it is, is it's just tough, It is a tough job that none of us sometimes want to do. And that's what we have to continue to do and build upon and understand how we can separate that decapitalize. I've had to clean up friends, I've cleaned up family members, I've cleaned up, you've named it, I've been there to support everybody. And sometimes we have to hold ourselves up and carry ourselves through the worst times, but understanding how to get through that is huge. And that's why what makes a great company great is looking at their employees and understanding that we are a family and there are going to be issues. There's going to be times that it hits hard for everybody. But at the same time, we need to understand that we're all into this together. And then when we go out on the job, that's our top priority is that family. And then when we get off, we debrief and we talk to each other. And then we continue to move forward as a family. And it's not for everybody. It really is not. The emotional aspect is triggering. I'm desensitized to some deaths. Like it doesn't affect me as much as it would affect somebody else. But it still hits me. It just I know how to handle it a lot better. And we do have the outs. Like we will go an employee outing. Like I'm a big Disney fan. I'm a big Lego guy too. So I go to Disney. A big Lego guy. So like I just built the Titanic, which took me like 10 hours which is like four feet long. That's the stuff I do to decompress. And then I give back. I do have the Bearing Hope Foundation, which I founded. Uh, The Bearing Hope Foundation is we give teddy bears to kids that are going through a traumatic event because psychologically we found that, again, kids calm down when they're hugging something tangible, like they're relaxed. They feel a little bit less anxiety. So during a traumatic event, officer, hospital can give them a teddy bear and bring it down. So I founded that. So I do a lot of that to really compartmentalize good versus bad. There's evil and then there's good. I tell people it's because it's an everlasting battle. Every day we get up, every day we go into life, you have good, you have bad. But where do you land on that road? And with our industry, it's easy to always see the evil because we're always going to see people at the worst time of their lives where someone took their own life. So you know the mental illness got to them. But then you go to the victims or and you see the cry and then you have to pull that good out of you and say, OK, we're here to help. We're here to be here for you. We're here. How can we help you? We're going to clean this up. But what else do you need? And that's the difference because and I go back to the regulation a little bit is because we don't want the devil to meet the devil. We want the devil to be counteracted with good and. That was something that my parents have always taught me since I've been little, is: be that good. Don't be the devil." Now, yeah, we, we all lose our ways at sometimes, but we always should find back to the good. And in our industry, it, it's very easy to get tied up into seeing what we see every single day. But understanding that the good outweighs the bad and always wins, I'm a romantic. I love like Hallmark Channel during Christmas time, them Christmas movies. That's all me. And really, when I had the tear-eyed and I know my wife's looking at me, I'm like, I'm, I'm not crying. But that's my output. I just, that good, that good aspect, even every good sports movie, like anything that ends good wins, always just, it hits me. And I just sit there and I'm like, hey, and that keeps me going. That keeps me really going in our industry is Understanding that I feel like I'm the good and my dad has developed something good. And that's why I've got an offer to sell. But I keep on saying, no, I'm not ready to give it up and let it become something. And that's why our logo is so true. The blood drop. We've animated him. We've made him a person. And that's because we want someone that people can relate, like be friendly with and understand that we're here. It's an industry that can be rough at times. But again, it's an industry that should be a lot better and should be looked at because it's needed. It needs to be regulated. It needs to be because think about me getting emotional and me cleaning it up. Imagine a family. You didn't go to a wake or funeral and say hi and just laugh and joke. You shed a tear. So imagine... Being that way and not knowing who to call or being in a situation that you had to call somebody. And that's really what it comes down to is having that resource and understanding of who to
0: call. Honestly, I was just thinking about the fact that one of my aunts, she went to go visit her aunt. And this was maybe like the late 60s, early 70s. So obviously these services did not exist. And she walked in the house. Well, she noticed the front door was open and she went in. And her aunt had made it to the bedroom, but then had had a heart attack and just was there. So like, isn't it? I tried to call her for days and my aunt just walked in and found her laying on the floor. She'd been there for days. So I can only imagine what that feels like. And what do you do at those moments?
2: There's nothing you can do. And. You're helpless. Like you're truly at the lowest point, like helpless. When you get a roof redone or you get windows done, you can call three contractors, you call four contractors, you can say, hey, look, I don't even have the money to do this. I'm going to put it on a back burner. You know, you have that option. At that moment when you've walked in, you are helpless. You don't know who to call. You don't know what to do. All you know is that this is the worst time, the worst experience that you're experiencing at that moment. And who do I call? How do I get it? So you call nine one one. The cops come out. They say, "Okay, yes." The paramedics or the medical examiner pa- pronounces him dead. And then you look at the cop and says, "What am I supposed to do?" Well, that's on you. Go to Google. You, I we recommend a professional clean it up. But do you have that that level of co- continuous drive or that understanding of where to put your focus? Like right now, you don't. You're not in that headspace. You're not. No. Yeah, and then imagine you're gonna a quote for $40,000. And you think the 40,000 to 20, 30,000 is going to be a standard price. And now you're like, what do I do? So you grab a bucket, you grab some bleach, and you start cleaning it up. Then what do you do? Then for the rest of your life, them close you wore When you get on your knees, when you fill a thing with bleach, when you change them up, everything could set off a moment of remembering you when you did that cleanup.
0: It's just that last memory that you have. And that's what
2: sticks with you. And that's the good with Dr. Canty's book after, you know, the suicide and murder. It's it's a it's a great thing because stages of the stages after one of it is what we do. Two of them actually is. And people don't understand how important it is. And I've done jobs that I really, truly feel I've done so big of an impact in that life that it is beyond heartwarming. It's beyond words on how to describe on how that family, you could see in their eyes and just their, their hug that they didn't want to stop, that they knew that you were there and it just changed everything for you.
1: Yeah. I mean, the work that you do and company that parents founded and you've of led the way is i mean it's really really important and i think a big thing going back to about the regulations is awareness people don't know i mean i didn't know this until i spoke to you and understanding about what this industry is and exactly how much empathy needs to go into the service providers which you are doing you're helping your employees have that sense of empathy which
0: is so important Wanna say thank you for the work that you do because it's yeah. it really is amazing and it, it helps so many people. And I'm sure it changes their lives as well. I can only imagine, I mean, for somebody to, to visually see and you know and go through, experience all of this, and to have a really great company that comes out and does a great job in terms of the cleanup but also helping the the families and the victims, I I think that probably somewhat replaces the memory of seeing the actual crime scene or, or the the location, it kind of softens it. It it alters it, it, it. It makes you feel, I don't want to say better, but it just, I think it probably helps people.
2: It does. It, it, it goes through a stage of, of grieving, like understanding that everyone grieves, everyone lost one, but understanding that what our industry does is more than just cleaning up blood. It's more than, Cleaning anything. It's more of the emphasis that you talked about and understanding that when we walk into a job, we have to act professional. We have to act courtesy, courtesy, and everything that we do have to understand that we're there really to help a victim or a person who's just really went through their worst time and how they deflect and how they handle. We need to be able to pick that up and understand. And not re-victimize them. And that's the biggest part about why I love to speak about our industry and why I'm really passionate the way I am, is by passing regulation and by going forward in awareness, if it helps one family, it helps one family. But I would also want to tell these companies that are doing not great and that are using this platform to re-victimize. Going out there, like maybe it's not an industry for you. Maybe understand that the restoration world, water, fire, even mold, you know, people aren't looking to spend this money. They're not looking for a disaster. During COVID, we weren't looking to lose as many people as we did. Nobody wanted that. You know, no matter who you are, no matter the political realm you are, nobody wanted somebody to die. But it was the consequences of actions and just overall, everything that happened maybe could have been prevented. Some things couldn't. But the mere fact of it is, is we don't want to be that person. And when you deal with restoration in fire, water, mold, and for us, biohazards, crime scene cleanup, we have to understand that nobody wants to know us. Nobody wants to call us. But unfortunately, it is needed. And for us to respond, how we respond can change and alter the path of somebody's future. Not completely alter, but it could 100% support. It could enhance somebody's grieving time. What if they didn't even go look at it yet? You know, What if the cops stopped them and said, look, get a company first, and then we gone in? Or maybe you could handle it and knowing the situation four months down the line, but at that moment you don't want to know. Right now you can't. Pay your respects, bury the the person who's been deceased and put that that thing to to rest and understand that we're here to come in and help you through that. But for these companies that are coming in and continuously using our industry as a show, as a TikTok video, as um an Instagram post and utilizing that to boost an image, to boost uh, like, or even, I mean, I know one company has like 4.8 million people liking their TikTok videos, and it's all about crime scenes. They're getting paid for that because of views. And then companies that take advantage and put liens on houses. And yes, again, not saying that I've never, ever probably got yelled at by a customer. I'm not saying that we're 100% perfect because we're not. But how we respond to our adversities and how we respond to our problems are who we are as individuals. And to know you're doing something wrong and allowing it, then yes, I think that's a problem in our industry and with regulations, certifications, and with people stepping up and saying, you know, we don't want to be re-victimized. We don't want people that we know being re-victimized. We're here to help. And that would be huge because, uh, yes, I'm one company out of probably 500 companies in New Jersey, if if not more. Say I'm the top three in the state. And if I talked about before 70-30, that means if we had 10 companies, I'm the top three. And then the rest of the seven are companies that say they do it. Either they sub us out, sub somebody else out, or they do it. And their owner is certified but all the technicians have no experience. They have no experience. It's their second day on jobs and they'll go cleaning up. I've had employees that hate me um, because sometimes the work's not cut out for them. And sometimes you have to make that hard choice as an owner. As an industry, we have seen so many bad. We've seen so much bad and seen so many people get re-victimized and it could have been prevented. And until we put regulations like Georgia did Or maybe California should revisit theirs. Dogs don't do our service. So uh, they should make some stricter regulations to revisit them. But Florida now has a list as well on their website. So understanding that there are states finally saying, hey, look, this is a need. However, three states, I'm hoping Jersey can be the fourth. Looking like it could be, but maybe New York as well. Then, hey, I know a buddy in Iowa. He does it great. Uh, job, a uh, couple companies down in Texas, Massachusetts. We have a few in Michigan. I know California, of course, Arizona. I have all friends that do great work. However, there might not always be the ones that get in the call because there's no regulation. We're doing it the right way, which means we don't have a lot of money to market. And unfortunately, without regulations, you never actually get the best. You always just get whoever. And by designing regulations, we help prevent re-victimization, okay? We help the financial burden. And then also we help the health and safety for individuals or companies that aren't doing this correctly with their employees. So there's a lot of benefits. And at what cost? There's no cost. Make a website and license, yeah. like, And make us pay. Hey, look, if I have to pay $200, $300, $400, $500, I'll do it. But knowing that 80 to 90 percent, I would say, of people do not know we exist and never know we exist in our field. People who need someone to call, I would say confidently that 80 percent do not know who to call. And I would say even 50 percent probably didn't call anybody and did it themselves or had a friend do it. So that shows you the need.
1: And the awareness is just, so this is, this is important that, you know, you're speaking to us, speaking to, you know, the audience and just letting people know that this is something that someone is going to have to deal with at least once in their lives, unfortunately.
2: Hopefully it's not everybody. Maybe, maybe you can get away from it. Unfortunately, nowadays, it seems like everyone's dealing with it at least once to know somebody who has. And if you know who to call or if you... At least if you have that resource, it could go a lot further. And then even knowing that you can utilize the government if you were a victim of a crime, knowing that you have four thousand dollars to actually ask for the government for for our cleanup services, that's huge.
0: That is huge in our industry. People don't know. People have no idea. Nope. Yeah.
1: Well, thank you for the work you do. Thank you, Scott, so much. Thank you.
2: No, thank you for having me. Thank you.
1: We'd like to thank Scott for helping us understand exactly what crime scene cleaners do. Scott's team does a great job of supporting people who are at their most vulnerable moments with a lot of care and compassion. They really do make people feel like they're
0: part of the Emerge Clean family. We'll have resources and information about crime scene cleanup on our website in the show notes. As always, you can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, wherever you get your podcasts. And if you like what you hear, leave us a review. Thanks for listening to another episode of Bound by the Cloak. Until next time. Peace.